You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Christine Jacobs. Christine is the Executive Director of the Adoption Center, a Philadelphia-based nonprofit organization working on behalf of children in the foster care system who are searching for their forever families. I love that. What a beautiful, beautiful goal. Christine, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm delighted to be with you. Now, give us a little bit more information. Uh, Tell us about the Adoption Center. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Sure. Well, first of all, the Adoption Center is going to be celebrating its 50th anniversary in Philadelphia next year, which is quite amazing in 22. We help families enter the adoption process. We give them the education and the learning so that they can successfully navigate the adoption process. And we also try to find those forever families for the children in our region who are looking for a forever family for themselves. So agencies in our area work with us. We work with Philadelphia. We work with New Jersey. We work with Delaware. We work with all of Pennsylvania. And it's very important that we continue to do this work because it's of of great value to the children and families that we serve. Of course, of course. And I I love that expression, forever families. Mm -hmm. What a great way, because these kids have been bouncing around potentially for however many years in temporary homes. I'm sure with it, most of them, hopefully with families who are loving them as best as they can, but that's not the same thing as having the family to call your own forever. No, and it's not at all the same as knowing that you never have to move. Right. Particularly, we serve those youth who are older. Mm. A lot of the kids that we serve are 10 and up, and those kids are just in as much in need of a family as a younger child, because we do believe that there are no unwanted children, just unfound families. A very important motto for us. We believe that very strongly. I do. I believe it completely. I do too. And I'm going to say it again for everybody else who might have been driving and looking at traffic lights or something when you said that in case they missed it and it didn't sink in. There are no unwanted children, just unfound families. That's mission critical focus. In doing all this work, of course, I'm sure much of it is difficult despite the fact that it is so vitally important. What's your favorite part of your job? My favorite part of my job is when we've been instrumental in finding that forever family for a child Mm. and the child gets placed with a family. And then we know that there's a secure future for that child. That's my favorite part of the job when I hear about something like that. I can't imagine any other answer that could have come out. Yeah. Yeah. That's the great reward in doing this work is that we know we make a difference. Yes. And in full disclosure to everybody out there, I have the honor of having recently joined the board for the Adoption Center. And the more I learned about everything they were doing, A, I wanted to be part of it. I love my own children who are biological and have come to me and my family through a variety of other means, but also 
people say, well, which is which? And frankly, I don't remember anymore. They're just all my kids. But I love to be able to help other people find those matches and those children. And there's a, a singer, I actually have her photo here on my wall, a vision board one from a year ago, Sia, who's a British great mm-hmm. pop singer. And there's a picture of her with her adoptive son, who is 19, one of two of them. And she says, just because my sons didn't come out of me 19 years ago doesn't mean they're not my sons. Right. There's a myth about people say, are they your own children? They're all our own children. Yes. However they come to you, they're your own. Yes. Right. Whether they come biologically or through adoption or step parenting. Yes. They're all your own. Yes. Yes. 100%. 100%. So in thinking about everything that you have to take care of, Let's talk about the communication aspect of it, because Mm -hmm. getting the word out and helping people to understand the realities of what you do and what you don't do, for that matter, I think is really important. What's something that is extremely important for you to communicate to others, and how do you have to do that effectively to make sure that people are really clear? I think one of the most important things is making people aware that we are not an adoption agency. We don't have the children under our desks ready to be placed (laughs) somewhere. Right. It's not like walking into a puppy store. and No, not at all. We don't have any children at our office. People have the misconception that, you know, we are an adoption agency. We are not an adoption agency. We also don't write any of the home studies, which is what you need to do in order to be qualified as an adoptive parent with an adoption agency. So those are things we don't do. What we do do is make the process easier for you Mm. because we give you information and hold your hand so that you can then make a better passage through this navigating of the adoption process. So those are the things that we do do and have to be done because adoption can be complex for a family. It's a not an easy process. There are lots of bells and whistles and things to be aware of when you're becoming licensed to become an adoptive parent. And so we make that easier for you by holding your hand and making sure you know what's coming next. I would imagine it has to be a bit of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you want to make sure that a family has been fully vetted and that it's going to be a safe and loving and real and permanent environment for the child. So we have to do due diligence. But at the same time, we don't want to make so much bureaucratic red tape that the family's and children can't get together. So if you're going to be smoothing out that pathway for them, uh, that's quite a service that nobody wants to have to go through bureaucratic red tape alone. Right. Well, what's lovely about this, Laura, is the fact that we don't make those decisions. We pass the families on to the adoption agencies, and those are the ones that really have to make the determination Mm -hmm. about vetting the family. We want to make sure that every family who, there are myths about adoption, you know, who can adopt, whether you can be single, and adopt, whether you can be gay or lesbian and adopt, whether you can be in a a relationship and not be married and adopt. All of those things are myths because there are so many flexible organizations out there that will work with families that do not look like you know, a traditional family that many people would think of when they think of uh, who should adopt. So we are looking at making that process easier for all families, and we don't have to do the vetting. We can make sure that you have the right information so that when you move on to the adoption agency, you're presenting yourself correctly, and you know what to present. Sure. So let me back up a little bit because you alluded to a lot of issues, but I didn't get the 
exact clarity on which part was the myth and which part is the fact. Do you want to go through what the official facts are, like who is eligible to adopt? Sure. You don't have to own your own home. You don't have to be married. You don't have to have a separate room for every child that you would want to adopt. If there are siblings and they're of the same gender, they could share a room together. So there are many myths about what the criteria is for adopting. Mm. And those are the things that we want people to be aware of, that these are myths, that they are not facts, and that when they approach an adoption agency, they'll know how to present who their family is and what they want. Right. So it, you can be single, you can yes. be in a committed relationship, but not married. You can right. be part of an LGBTQ Forgive me, I don't know the rest of the acronym as it gets longer and longer. Q, uh, QI. I think it goes beyond that from what I understand too. But QI plus. Yeah, even better. Uh, so, but you can be part of a variety of different, and you don't need to own your home. You could be in an apartment. You right. can be, so there are, right. when in doubt, it sounds like the question is, if it has ever crossed your mind or your heart that you might want to explore adoption, ask. Right. Don't assume that you're not eligible, that you would be somehow eliminated. The idea for us is to be inclusive because there are so many children that need families. There are over 1,600 children just in our region of Pennsylvania, southeastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware, who need a forever family. Mm. So with that population, you know that there is a need for families. And it sounds like another myth that might be part of that, and I'd be curious if you have the statistics or, or a general estimate on it, but that maybe there's an assumption for many people that adopting means a baby or a toddler. And we're really looking primarily at the older children, Correct. 10 years to 19, even 20 years old, who are right. still technically part of the system, who still need that forever family, just because you're at number one, over the age of 10, I think the likelihood of any child being adopted plummets pretty dramatically, doesn't it? It does. It's more difficult, certainly, as the child ages. But, you know, there are lots of families out there who are enamored of teenagers. Mm -hmm. Either they've been parents before and raised to, you know, a child through teenage years, so they know what to expect, or they're empty nesters, or they have kids in college, and they know that it would be great to bring in a teen that could have a role model. So there are lots of opportunities for families to consider the older child. You don't have to change diapers. Yes. You don't have to have an after-school program, right. usually. You know, I mean, there's a lot of benefits of taking on an older child. And, of course, challenges, too. Sure. But no child is totally formed. None of us are totally formed at the age of 10. So there's still a lot of influencing that yes. you can do with a child who's 10 or older. And even teenagers, I mean, they need role models. They need mentors. They need people who will show them what it means to be an adult and be responsible. Right. So that's very important that the older youth doesn't get overlooked. Despite the fact that at 17, I'm sure we all thought we knew everything mm -hmm. and uh, that we were fully independent adults and didn't need. I mean, that's the work of a teenager is to <laughs> become independent and yes. not not be listening to your family because you're, you want to be independent. So... But I have known that when children come later in life, they stay longer. Mm. In other words, if a child comes to you at 15 or 16, they're not as eager to walk out the door at 19 or 20. They may mm. want to stay with you longer. So that's a good thing, that you have more time with a child Yes, to keep uh, working with them and nurturing them into their adulthood. Yes. Yeah, I think it was 
Mark Twain, who said, when I was 17, I thought my father was an idiot. When I was 21, I was impressed with how much he'd learned. <laughs> That's funny. So, you know, we all grow when it's our jobs, I think, sure. to take those children under their wings either way. And for what it's worth, 10-year-olds, I've got one. She's 11 now, you know, are still very cuddly. They're not yeah. uh, like you lost that. In, if you don't have the infant or you don't have the, the toddler, they're not going to want to. Sure, you're still going to get all that good parenting stuff too. And for that matter, if you have a biological child, if you have out there, just because they're your biological child does not mean that they won't bring challenges with them as they go into basically every stage. So it's, it's not about are they adoptive or not and will they bring problems or not. Kids are kids. Yeah. Right. It's just yeah. which one's going to be It's always worse. a challenge in parenting. It's not easy whatever, whatever route you choose. Exactly. Exactly. So to do all of this work, who do you have to influence? Well, we do need to influence the public, first of all, which is going to help us with the podcast today, to influence the public to come to our website to learn more about adoption. We want them to trust us and to know that we have the right information to pass along to them. And they, mm -hmm. this is a place that's non-judgmental. Yes. We're not making a judgment about you or your ability to be a parent. We're trying to help you make that next step. So definitely the public. I have to influence foundations mm. to want to support our work with their foundation money. I have to influence probably our partners, the partners that we have, and we have several. We have partners in New Jersey, in Delaware, in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia. And our media partners on NBC10 and KYW and in the newspapers. But we want to influence them to continue to want to do this work with us, that it's benefiting them as well as benefiting the children. So all of those are all our stakeholders that we want to keep influencing. Yes. And in talking to these various groups, whether you're talking to the public, you're talking to the foundations and those mm -hmm. kinds of groups and others, how have you had to learn to adjust your approach to working with those different groups? Well, Laura, I always think that there's enough confusion out there about adoption that when we're talking to the public, we should make it very simple, not use any jargon, not use any acronyms, nothing that they wouldn't be able to understand right away. That there's a child, the child needs a new family, the child is in foster care, and that's what we want to tell the public. And here's where we need you to step up. For foundations, we want to make sure that we're telling them what our outcomes are. Because unless we tell them our outcomes, they're not going to want to support our work. We want to make sure to tell them about everything that we evaluate carefully about what we're doing in our programs mm. and what our outcomes are. For our current partners, we want to keep that relationship with them and make sure that they're satisfied with our work so that they feel like, oh, yes, this is a good organization to be affiliated with. So that communication has to be more political mm. in a way, making sure that they're satisfied, making sure that they're happy with the services that we're providing and how we work with them. And I would say that those are three different entities that we have to make sure that we have the right language and the right communication for. Sure. Now, I'm curious, you use the word political. What does that connote to you? In a way, it's like making sure that their hierarchy is clear as to who we are, because sometimes we may be just meeting with one person within the media, and they know us, but their hierarchy doesn't know about us. And if anything were to come about and the hierarchy were to make a decision that they no longer want to be involved with us, 
then that would be that only that one person who would be able to support us. So it's important to make a political statement to them and make sure that we get to know the hierarchy within the media and make sure that they know who we are. And there's a new director of news at NBC10, and we made a point to have a communication with her. I was on a Zoom call with her. We introduced ourselves. We introduced our work because she didn't know us. Sure. So it's important, very important to secure those relationships. Yes. I wanted to clarify that political is more not, about... Not right. Democrat and Republican, no. Right, right, right. Good. <laughs> I think children are children and, and families are families and love is love. So that's really important that everybody understand. I would imagine that this has become even more complicated in the world of virtual existence where we are all now. So in attempt to continually help to identify forever families for these children, how has the experience been impacted as a result of the pandemic and having to be virtual all the time? How has your virtual presence and the organization's virtual presence changed and improved over the course of the last year and a half or so? That certainly has been a challenge for all of us. We had in-person matching events for the last 30 years, and they're very successful. They're a fun, low-key experience for families. Families who are approved to adopt meet children in person. And how would they do that? They would do it at a bowling alley, or sometimes we've had it at a museum. Hmm different venues where families and kids can get together, do some icebreakers, eat meals together, actually have lunch together, sit and talk, be able to play games. All of those things happen at an in-person matching event. Well, we haven't been able to do in-person matching events in 2020 and sure. for much of 2021 as well. So we had to adapt to a virtual platform to Zoom and make sure that we kept the intimacy and the ability to really showcase the children and highlight the families who were there as well so that information could be exchanged. We have a wonderful part of the event called Everyone Has a Voice. And at that part of the event, families are able to talk about who they are as a family. What kind of food do they cook? What do they do on Saturday? What do they like doing for vacations? So that the social worker for the child can hear if there's a commonality between the family and the child that they want to place in a family's home. And then we have the opportunity to do wonderful videos with the youth who are waiting for a forever family and have the social worker ask them about what kind of family they're interested in. What do they like to do? What are their hobbies? Those sort of activities have been able to make the feeling of being together when we're really very much apart as far mm -hmm. as being on Zoom, give us a feeling of being together in a room trying to make connections. That's the whole point of it, is making the connections between the families and the youth finding those commonalities that they share so that, you know, oh, Johnny says he loves to bike ride. Well, we're a family that bikes every Saturday. You know, mm. we take bike trips. So that kind of activity has been a challenge, but we've managed it very well and managed to adapt to a new platform and a different way of communicating and allowing people to meet each other. And to clarify, the children in these cases are not 
on the calls. They're not on the video calls themselves. But one thing that I have seen having attended a couple of these virtual matches is that the organization and the social workers have done a great job of video kind of interviewing very informally, chatting with the children and the youth and having them tell about themselves and then putting together these videos so people get a taste of the personalities, the likes, the preferences, the needs of the children. Mm -hmm. And then we get to watch those videos. And the social workers also do a good job of representing the unique qualities of the children and what they need as well. So everybody has really learned to up their video presence from what I've seen as well. Yeah, you've explained it very well because you were there. Yes, yes. And it's again, it's been such a joy for me to be part of this and to watch the evolution. And I'm not trying to do a pitch. Probably sounds like I'm trying to do a pitch, but you know, I just I love what we're doing. And I just believe every child needs that opportunity. So but watching how the Adoption Center of all types of unique organizations has also managed to evolve its presence to the online world. It's amazing to me how each organization figures out what it needs to do to have that mm-hmm. in-person experience, but online. And so I want to commend you and the team for everything that you've done. Thank you. Yeah, it has been a challenge, but we feel like it's been successful for us. Now, this brings us to the listener 24-hour influence challenge. Mm-hmm. So Chris, I'm going to invite you here to talk directly to our listeners and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I would like to challenge everybody to step into the other person's shoes. Okay. I think it's really important to understand why you're not in agreement with the person that you're trying to influence. What is stopping them from seeing that in their best interest? What is stopping them from believing that you have their best interest at heart? There may be something you haven't even thought of that they have in their mind. So you have to step into their shoes and find out what they're thinking. And if you find that out, you might be able to make a change in how you present it And then you might be able to come to agreement that it is in their interest. Mm. So when we're talking about stepping in someone's shoes, it's about inquiring more open-mindedly, just trying to ask, ask the question to understand their side better. Not so that you can counter necessarily. No, it's not to argue with them. It's to really listen. It's to listen to them and to know why they're opposing you. That's the only thing that you can do because the more you argue, the worse it gets. Yeah. So listening just for the sake of understanding. What a novel concept for so many of us. So now let's take down to another level because so many of us are having conversations or or communicating in ways that we don't take the most diplomatic or the most effective approach in whatever context that might be. So what's a communications-related mistake that you've made along the way? Well, I think the organization made this mistake, but in a way I did make a mistake because I should have spoken up and said, Mm. "Mm, I think this is not going to go exactly the way we want it to go. Okay. Since we have this very successful Wednesday's Child feature on NBC 10, and we've had it for the last 15 years, and we have a marvelous relationship with them. Okay. Let's explain to everybody first what Wednesday's Child is, and then we'll come back to the story. 
Wednesday's Child is a weekly feature where we provide the station, NBC10, with a child to highlight that week. We give them a special day. Whatever it is that the child wants to do that day, if they want to go to the Eagles, if they want to see the Phillies, if they want to go to a show at Walnut Street Theater, whatever it may be, we pride ourselves on trying to provide the right venue for that experience so the child really feels like it's their special day. Mm -hmm. And it highlights the child, and then the viewers watch and hopefully respond to that child with interest. Okay, so it's a you give the child an experience, we get some video footage, and then NBC 10 does a little video showing them this, this little compilation video to right. highlight this child who's eligible for adoption. Right. And then our website is there and our telephone number is there so that if people are interested, they can contact us about that child. All right. So we thought that this was a great feature and we thought we could bring it to scale. We had somebody research a lot of markets throughout the United States where there were stations and adoption agencies that might be interested. We then contacted those locations. We had three locations that were very interested. Two of them actually bought into it. And we went to those locations. We went to Buffalo and we went to San Francisco and we went to Maryland. We actually went to three locations. We did training. We trained them on how do you do a Wednesday's child feature? Here's what you need to do. You need to identify the child. You need to find out what the child wants to do. Then you need to get somebody to video it. You need to have a response mechanism in place so that when somebody inquires, they can get a response from somebody who's knowledgeable and information. And we did the training and we thought it was secure. And we walked away and said, okay, call us if you need us. Call us if you think you need help. Mm -hmm. Well, that was the mistake because they were not capable of sustaining the feature on their own. They Who was the they exactly? The they is the adoption agency for the most part. The stations were okay with it. The stations would have continued, but it was the adoption agencies that had difficulty sustaining the feature. They did not realize how much work it was going to be Mm. for them and additional work for their staff, and they simply couldn't sustain it. If I had my druthers and could do it over, I probably would have provided them with a resource from our organization who would be on site for them, Ah. who would be able to actually support them and help them have the feature be implemented in their location. Sure. So the mistake was one of omission of sorts, just not providing enough background we didn't find enough. We didn't do enough research on whether they actually could sustain the feature and implement it. We just were looking at, well, this is a great location. They're all interested. Everybody's on board. It'll be successful. Yes. And it's sometimes it's hindsight being 2020. You don't realize what you should have asked or what you should have double checked. And uh, they don't know what right. to ask because it's nothing they've ever done no, before. They'd never done it before. So they didn't know. And we could have had more support for them. That would have been my takeaway from that. Oh, maybe we'll have a chance to do it again in the future. It's never too you never late, know. right? You never know. So then what about succession planning? What advice can you give to leaders, nonprofit or otherwise, about how they can groom their successors? Right? What leadership communication skills mm-hmm. will that heir apparent need aside from technical expertise or industry knowledge, to be ready for that executive role? I would look for someone with the ability to really listen and receive feedback. 
because when you lead an organization, you need to hear from the people you're leading. You need to hear from all your stakeholders. You need to hear from the public. You need to be open to that feedback because it's a way to learn how to do what you're doing better. So if I were to choose somebody, I would look for somebody with the ability to listen, receive feedback. And then I think for our organization in particular, I think they'd have to have the mission at their core mm. in their vision. I think they'd have to make that part of their belief that, you know, there are no unwanted children, just unfound families. They'd have to believe that for our organization. And how did you learn this for yourself, the importance of being open to feedback? I think through observation, primarily. I observed there were colleagues. In, I come from New York originally, and there were colleagues in New York that I learned a great deal from. I observed how they worked with all those different entities and how they worked with their staff. And I admired the way that they led. And that's how I learned by observing, by observing. So important. Mm -hmm. So important to have role models. And I think I'll give another quote. I believe it was Einstein who said the only rational way to educate is to be an example of what not to do if one can't be the other sort. So at least get a good role model to show you, okay, note to self, don't do that. That's not effective. Do something else or ideally to show you what should be done. And it sounds like you had some really great positive yeah. leadership role models early on. Yeah, I did. So let's talk about that future generation one degree further. If you were asked to go, really, this is almost your target demographic as far as the children were looking to place. If you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates, whether or not they're going to college, regardless of their majors or intended career goals? What's the one thing they have to do to be successful? I believe that the one thing anyone has to do to be successful is to find something you love, something you can't live without doing, and go find a way to do it. Mm. I think that that will carry you a long way. You may change careers because you may find other things that you love along the way. I mean, it's not like you have to stick with the one thing that you love right now when you're 25. Mm -hmm. You may have three different careers of things that you love. Sure. You love the ocean. You love children. You love what, whatever it may be. But find that thing that you love. And you can't live without doing this. And then go do it. Yeah, I think there's people don't often realize that you can take that thing that you love and contextualize it differently too. So maybe you love accounting and you'll love accounting in the public garden sector, but you don't want to do it in the investment banking world or, you know, there's all different ways to take mm -hmm. those passions and find a way to make it fit. So yes, I think that piece in particular about you may change your job and chances are you will. I mean, what's the average nowadays? People you go will. five, six jobs in their career, probably more now. I think the idea that people are going to stay in a job for 45, 50 years and then retire is dead. I don't think that's happening anymore. I don't even know that they do it for 10 years. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you may find a lot of different passions along your way. Just make sure you listen to them. Yes. And try lots of new things along the way, if I can yeah. throw in my two cents along with yeah. that. That's great. Yeah. Chris, Tell us how people can learn more about you and or about the Adoption Center. I'd love people to go to our website, www.adopt.org, and you could learn more about what you can be. Do you want to be an adoptive parent? Do you want to be a mentor? Do you want to be a donor? Do you want to volunteer? 
all those things are there for you to learn about. And you also can see the children that we serve because there's a Meet the Children page and you'll mm. be able to look at the kids and see who the children are that we're serving. Yes, yes. And I think this brings us to one other myth that I seem to recall, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, and I'm gonna, I am gonna—I want to give you the chance to bust this one as well, that the only people who can help children who need to be adopted are people who want to adopt children. No, that is a myth. I mean, I believe very strongly that there are many ways to help children. And if you want to volunteer to help us put backpacks together for the school year, or if you want to volunteer to stuff envelopes with us, or if you want to volunteer to become a mentor for a youth in foster care who would need a caring adult when they age out of the foster care system because maybe they don't find a permanent forever family. So there are lots of other ways to help. Just be aware that you don't have to only consider one path, that there are many paths that you can take, and all of them lead to helping a child. So at that point, if nothing else, check out the website just to see what other possibilities there might be for ways that you can, uh, as a one-time or a more extended basis, help a child or many children, for that matter, to find their forever families. Can you give us that website again, Chris? It's www.adopt. Dot org, O-R-G. Nice and easy, adopt.org. And of course, we'll put that in the show notes as well. So don't forget to go and check that out if you're driving or somewhere else that you can't write it down for the moment. So with that, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. And to that end, everyone else, thank you for joining. Thank you for caring enough, not only about us and about leadership and communication, but about the children to stay tuned for the rest of the show today. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you'd like to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my top picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sakola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.